Now more than ever, a good UX should be a high priority for software development teams. If users struggle to access or use any of your software's core functions, it's so easy for them to switch to a different application. As our guest Isabel Evans notes, a good user experience is a commercial imperative. Hello there, I'm Ryan Black, Assistant Site Editor for SearchSoftwareQuality.com. Welcome to another episode of the Test and Release Podcast, where we discuss a variety of software testing and development topics. Today our focus is on UX and usability, including where and how each should factor into the software development process. Plus, who is well-suited to champion UI, usability, and UX, and how those persons can best evaluate such elements. That all and more is what my fellow host David Carty, SSQ site editor, talked about with Isabel Evans at this year's Star East. Evans is a quality and testing consultant whose work focuses on user experience, quality management, and software testing. She was also this year's Eurostar Conference Program Chair. Let's cut to their conversation. Isabel, thank you for joining me. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Sure. Right off the bat, we wanted to discuss the differences between the terms UI, usability, and UX. These tend to get conflated a little bit, and maybe we've heard a little bit of that over the course of the conference. Can you kind of break those three terms down for us? Okay, yes. UI stands for user interface. So it is the interface between the human and the computer, the person and the computer. It's the thing that you can see on the screen or the handle to the tool that you're holding or the um, product that's got embedded software. It's the surface of that. It's the thing that the human body or senses encounter. So that user interface, very often in software terms, is what we see on the screen. And when we're testing that, we might be looking at things like, does it tab properly? Um, Does it go in an expected order? How many tabs do you have to do to get to, um, um, keystrokes do you have to do to get to the next command? That type of thing. It's very much focused on the software. That contributes to the usability of a piece of software. When we're measuring usability, we're not just looking at the user interface. We're looking at a whole flow of activities. We're looking at how the person is using the system, whether they can carry their tasks out effectively and efficiently, the level of satisfaction they're feeling with their ability to carry those tasks out. Now, in order to test those, we may may well be observing what a user does. And you can automate some parts of that or use tooling on some parts of that. So the types of things that people might do is, uh, in terms of tooling, is make recordings to show uh, what people are doing with their hands, where they're moving the mouse around the screen, what they're doing with finger strokes, uh, where they're hesitating in the flow of what they're doing and so on and so forth. Sure. When you look at user experience, you're coming out another level again. And when we talk about user experience, we're talking about the entirety of a person's experience with a product or a service or an organization or a combination thereof. So it might be not just the interaction with this piece of software and not just the ability to carry these tasks out, but the interactions with other systems, with other people in the organization, what the whole experience is like. And we start to move towards things that we measure more qualitatively, 
very specifically people's emotional responses to the experience they've just had. So whereas at the UI we might be measuring, we count this number of steps for somebody to traverse through this screen, and at usability we might be saying how long did it take somebody to take that, carry that task out and were they happy with the result. With UX we're measuring things like did they trust it, was it credible, um, if it was a game, was it seductive, was it playful, and those are the types of words we're using. And suddenly they're words that for a lot of people in IT we're not used to using, but they're, they're, they're words that are definitely about emotion and, and how people feel about things. Sure, and things then, that are very difficult to measure. Absolutely, things that are difficult to measure, but if we bring in work from other disciplines, if we look at the HCI and the UX discipline, the sort of people working in that are coming in from psychology, sociology, anthropology. They're looking at the problems in different sorts of ways. Um, so there are ways you can do qualitative measures. There are ways that you can observe what people are doing, ways you can interview them. Again, there are tools that people use to contribute. So you might look at eye tracking, eye movements. Sure. Um, there are some teams that use brainwave measurements. People measure the amount of sweat in somebody's palm or how hard they're holding on to the mouse or the other part of the tool. What's the level of tension in their body? How are they experiencing this haptically? Uh, all those types of things. But it inevitably comes down to how did you feel about that? Or how did we observe you were feeling about that? So these are difficult things like we're talking about to try to measure and then act upon. Yeah which I imagine is one of the reasons why we are seeing an increase in UX specialist type roles and bringing people into an organization to make sense of these things that are difficult to collect and then make sense of. Is that the trend that you're seeing, that, that these types of roles are being coveted and, uh, and are on the rise? Absolutely, they are. Um, and they're separate to the testing community. UX designers, it's a different discipline. I was at a meeting last year in the UK and I think there were 30 or 40 people at a meeting. It was a sort of special interest group meetup type thing one evening and they had an open mic and there were six companies there each looking to recruit UX designers. The whole of the, that room could have found a job that evening <laughs> if they'd been looking. It's definitely a growing area. For me, because it focuses very much at the beginning of the life, where, life cycle of a product, and because it's holistic, it is about setting quality in its, in its biggest sense in place well before we start writing code. So that, that discipline, uh, that specialism, they have techniques that they're using uh, which, where they will do work before we get as far as an IT project in order to understand what product or service is needed. How does that have to be supported? What are the human aspects of this? How are people going to interact? And they will do uh, designs, what they call a design sprint, which might just be five or 10 days, to get to the point of having prototypes. And those prototypes then get handed in to a team who are going to design and develop. But the whole that whole process through understanding 
who is going to use this system? What are the personas? What archetypal people can we identify who are going to use this? How do we show diversity in that? How do we make sure we're inclusive? All of those sorts of thoughts. What are people going to be doing with this product? Why would they want to use it? What are they going to use it for? How are they going to interpret it? What emotions are they going to be feeling? Now, all of that then leads to some wireframing and some prototyping, which informs the start of the IT development. Sure. Well, a lot of times we see UX boil down to some simple metrics, things like... Um, load times and other sort of uh, technical terms. It sounds mm -hmm. like really what we would call UX goes a little bit beyond that. Uh, so how would you classify uh, things like this measurements of how a user interacts with an application, some of what the folks downstairs in the expo are calling UX terms? Yeah, they are, they're a part of it. Okay. So, if, and this, the interesting, this is why UX, one of the reasons UX is wider than usability, because if you only measure usability, you're not measuring the whole user experience. Lots of things like performance and security and reliability, they are important as feeds into that user experience. Now, those are not words that ordinary people will use, and they shouldn't have to. It's about the engine of how we deliver it. And I'm aware this is a podcast, so me drawing you a diagram at this point is fatuous. <laughs> but I, I need to draw it so to, to, to describe it to you. Mm -hmm. um, but the, what I like to think of it of uh, is as a pyramid of attributes. Mm -hmm. And so if at the top we have the user experience, the tip of this pyramid, um, and there we're looking at which attributes are important in terms of things like the emotions, trustworthiness, credibility, playfulness, whatever else, mm -hmm. uh, and the haptics, how it feels sensually to people, the human attributes, what is important about this experience as a whole. Underneath that, so a wider part of the pyramid, if you like, or a layer cake, or whatever you want to call it, we have some attributes called quality and use attributes. Now, those are defined in a standard, um, ISO 25010. Okay. A nerd I am, I know a standard <laughs> number. And in there you've got things like the flexibility of that system, you've got uh, safety from risk and harm, and you've got uh, efficiency and effectiveness, the way that people are carrying their tasks out. Now, ISO 25010 lays down definitions of those attributes, and it also lays down metrics for each of them, so ways that you can measure them. And you need a mix of those to give the right user experience. But it's going to be a different mix depending on the user experience you want to end up with. So, for example, the level of flexibility you allow in what the user does. For some systems you want to allow lots of flexibility, many different users using it in different ways. But for others, you want minimised flexibility because you know you have a specific group of people using it who want to be held, it to, to make it feel safe for them, they need to feel that they're not going to make mistakes. There's one way to do this and once they've learned how to do that, it's always going to stay the same. So that, that's how that, that sort of fits in. Sure. And then below that quality and use level, again in the same standard, you have the idea of product quality attributes. Now those product quality attributes are the things that in IT and specifically in testing we know and love. So there's a series of functional attributes like functional suitability, 
accuracy of response and so on and so forth. There's performance related ones like time behaviour, response time, um, throughput on networks, all those sort of things. There's uh, reliability ones, there's security ones, uh, and a whole bunch of other things, interoperability, maintainability, you name it. Now, some of those are ones that are more obviously person-facing, like security, sure. and some like maintainability, kind of only IT people care about, but if you know that the business is going to want that piece of software to change, you need to make it maintainable so you give the flexibility further up the line. So in terms of what people are measuring using different tools and automation and the testing they're doing, at this bottom level, you need to measure performance, security, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. In order that, you have a foundation on which you can make sure you've got the quality in use, which gives you a foundation on which you can make sure you've got the user experience. So it's kind of like we're putting the building blocks together. You can't call that UX, in my view, but it is a contributor towards it. Sure. You need the you need even more steps further up the pyramid in order yeah. to get the full yeah. user experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, now I would imagine as you go further up toward the top, these are things like we say that are more difficult to measure. Maybe they fall a little bit more outside the scope of what IT would care about. Is that fair to say? I mean, is that something more on the business side they would like to collect these additional metrics? I think IT should care about it and I think testers should care about it. But you will frequently find that it is actually the UX designers who go and do that testing. And they might have focus groups, they might, when they talk about user testing, mm -hmm. what they're talking about is bringing in groups of people and observing what they do with the product. And, are, and then asking them questions about what that was like. And there's a very particular way that they do that. So it is a, it is a specialist form of testing. I think if we're kind of, if we're unaware of that, uh, when we're down in the technicalities, we're missing a trick because there are things we could be thinking about which would preempt potentially some of the problems that people might have at that top level. And in particular, I think we don't think enough about the diversity of people in the way that the UX designers do. Does that make sense? So it's kind of sure. we're, we're doing testing, we think this works for us. And we think it's obvious because we're IT people and we think that things are intuitive, for example, and they're actually not. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I don't know if this fits in quite with what you're saying, but what's come into mind is a piece of uh, work that was done by the UN. It was a survey of people, uh, working people aged between, I think it was, it was either 16 or 18 and 60, 65-ish, but it was, you know, adults, not too old, not too young, in the 33 richest countries in the world. And they were looking at people's ability to use computers and IT and software and so on and so forth. A quarter of those people, these people in work in the richest countries, could not do anything with a computer, just had never used one, didn't know how to, was not you know, were not uh, connected in any way, weren't using the internet, sure. all the rest of it. Then you've got another, about a quarter to a third, who could do very, very simple tasks indeed. And then another quite big chunk who could do slightly more complex chunks, t tasks. And then there's this tiny sliver, which is about three to five percent, which is where IT people sit, and other people who we would see as being technically literate. 
And of course, when you talk to IP people, there's an assumption that everybody's connected, everybody's got a mobile phone, everybody's got a smartphone, everybody's constantly on social media, right. everybody's doing online banking, everybody's buying stuff online. And it's just not true. Right. There's, there's a chunk of the population that doesn't have a bank account at all. There's a chunk of the population that is not connected to d digitally, doesn't have mobile coverage where in the, in the areas they're living and working, doesn't have broadband connection. There are people who are simply not interested. And, uh, and when you think that's amongst people who are in work, and then you've got all the people who are unemployed, homeless, or otherwise disenfranchised, and then you've got all the people who aren't in the 33 richest countries, and you've got the older people and the younger people, you're kind of thinking, wow, you know, we really are just building things for that tiny sliver of people. I'm sure it must feel like that sometimes, right? Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and, 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 and then when you think, like, if we're getting all our feedback on our success through Twitter and, and Instagram and stuff, we're in this little bubble where we're self-fulfilling. Right, right. So, so kind of... Yes, we should be thinking about this because even if somebody else in our organisation is actually doing that work, that testing, we should be engaging with them to find out what they're doing in early stages and to get involved with observing that testing to make sure that our preconceptions are met. But also because, if you think about the testing mindset, we could take that back right into that UX design phase and be sitting there saying, are these all the personas? Have we thought about the diversity enough? What else would that person want? Do people really do this? How many people are still using that type of device or operating system or whatever? Is that now too complex? Have we put too much functionality in? Is this really what we want? You know, what, what our users want? How are people going to feel about that? Right. Which is, is kind of the questions the UX people are asking already, but... I think having an extra mindset in that's questioning would help. Right, right. Some of the, some of those top level things we talk about that I would imagine cannot get as easily folded into a feedback cycle as mm. some of the stuff on the bottom, the product quality kind of metrics that are collected yeah. immediately, right? I mean, do we have a sense of how often some of these top level things are collected versus the UX metrics that we tend to hear about more frequently? Um, I think it's becoming increasingly the case that this, is ha this happens. For some organisations, it's been going on for decades. So, it's a company called Philips who make household devices. And for decades, they've had a house in the Netherlands and they put the latest whatever they're designing in there. And people go and live in the house and are filmed, you know, like, oh, so they did that with it, right, okay. Oh, they couldn't find that button. You know, so... <laughs> yeah. so some organisations have been engaged in this for a long time. In terms of it around IT, I think the bigger organisation, if you look at how uh, Apple operates, for example, very focused around, I mean, Steve Jobs said that, they put the person first. The technology follows on from who the person is. Um, so the people in those organisations are driving it and probably living it and breathing it. Um, I think a lot of organisations who made in-house software for a long time, even thought that usability was not of importance um, because people had to use their software. Whereas in fact what we're seeing is increasing evidence that if people are forced to use your software, it becomes even more important. 
So I think, where am I going with this? Because you asked about how often did I think they were masturbation. <laughs> and and I've, I've done a politician thing and sweeping off elsewhere. Um, <laughs> I think probably it used not to be measured very much. It's being measured more. I'm finding more people are talking about it. The very fact people are claiming it means that it's being more talked about. I think, as usual, people are going to look for things that are easy to measure rather than the right things to measure. Of course. However, the UX community is growing and thriving and they will be pushing for these ways of doing it. And if they're going to use tools, they're going to be using tools that are becoming from the biomedical, psychological sorts of areas right. and applying them in a different sort of way. Right. These kind of measurements will be much more technologically enabled in the next few years, I would imagine, right? Especially yeah. as we're talking about haptic response and, you know, as yeah. the Internet of Things becomes more prevalent too, I imagine yeah. these things will be more ubiquitous. If, if you look at what's being researched in that community, you look at the tool set they've got, they have a good tool set already to do a lot of this. Um, I had a very interesting conversation with a UX designer a couple of years ago, and I was talking about the, the software testing tool set, um, and he said, yeah, I think, I think the UX testing tool set is much better because we just wouldn't put up with the sorts of interfaces and the sorts of tools that you're using in software testing. I thought that was very striking. So hmm. they have a tool set, it's a rich and powerful tool set, and it enables them to do these measures really well and as frequently as, as they want. But you know, if you're gonna do if you're gonna do user testing with real people, you might have ten people coming and each each test might take a couple of hours. Um, because you've got to get somebody to do something and then interview them afterwards. And then actually, as I know for some things I'm doing at the moment, just going through the videos and the recordings of what people have done and looking for the key points, all of that's very time consuming. It's qualitative, it's hard work to do. Now, if you compare that with measuring, say, analytics of website or app use, that's quite quick and it's continuous and all the rest of it. Sure. But it's also kind of self-fulfilling to me because it's telling you what the people who are already using that are doing and it's telling you what people are feeling forced to do. It isn't necessarily telling you what they would do if you gave them a choice because you can only find that out by asking them and that's time consuming. Right. Yeah, so it's kind of you've got a trade-off there between quick analytics and they'll tell you so much and then investing some time in and real work in, you know. Right. Uh, maybe this will be the last question I ask you then. Um, could you make the case or, or, you know, try to make the case for an organization that might not believe it needs to go fully up the pyramid to collect these sorts of metrics to do that hard work that we're talking about? Everybody wants to move faster. Everybody's adopting Agile or DevOps or has it somewhere on their roadmap. So how do you convince an organization like that to take a step back and commit the time to pull in these metrics that will not only give you a response to your app that is unique and fully thought out, but will also set them up for the long term mm. when these metrics might be more readily available. There's two things I'd point to. Um, one of them is actually uh, conversations out on blogs around user experience, and indeed people are talking about customer experience, saying this is now the real differentiator for organisations. If, if you aren't providing a good user experience, people will go somewhere they're getting a good user experience. It's commercial now, it's, it's a commercial imperative. 
So from a business point of view, if you don't do this, you will lose customers. The second part of it is actually something that came out of Jeff Payne's keynote yesterday. Did you see that? Yeah. And he was talking about the levels of maturity. And did you see about the, the amount of automation went down as organization moved from low maturity up to middle maturity? Right. It's not what you would necessarily guess. Which, and you would say, yes. But I said, thinking, yeah, I can understand that. And, and, and Jeff then talked about this and said, yeah, people try and go faster. So they try and automate everything. And then they realize the quality has gone down and they've got more problems and they have to stop and step back and do some more things manually and think about it. And then they work out what it's really worth automating. But there are still stuff there that's done manually. So my suggestion would be, if you take that as, 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 a, as a pattern, that organizations will go, right, yeah, we can measure UX just by doing analytics and this tool, and blah, a number of, number of tabs, number of key presses, job done, tick. Oh, hang on, we're still losing customers. What's going on here? Right, okay, we need to get, go to a usability lab. We need to get in a UX designer. Do all the, bit, all the bits of the pyramid. We've slowed ourselves down. We've found out now what the problems are. As you move through UX maturity, you move from saying, oh, these stupid users, through saying, why are they having problems through, oh, we see what the problems are, now we know how to prevent them. Then you get into the UX process. Then you know which bits you can automate and what tools you need and which bits you're doing by hand still. So I think, I think it's that maturity thing we're going through. And I guess there'll be casualties on the way. There'll be organisations who have gone so far down the route of saying we want to do this as fast as possible that they will just lose customers because the customers are not happy. You know, I think, you know, when you look at it again as a human experience, continuously deploying automatically sounds brilliant from an IT point of view. But somebody the other day said to me, oh yeah, we don't have to think about the customers anymore. We just, well, they don't get a choice, we just deploy it. Just think, but from the customer's point of view on the other end, now, I can think of applications I use, and I'm sure you can. Every time it comes up with a little thing saying, oh, just wait while we upgrade this to improve your experience, and you're going, you're not. You are just not improving my experience. Right. First of all, I wanted to do something just then. And secondly, I know that what you're about to deliver me means I'm going to have to go and find things again because you've just decided to redesign the interface for some glamorous reason of your own. I will not have the flow through my work. I just wanted to do this now. This task was important to me. Who can I go to instead? You know, uh, uh, and so I think I think organisations will get pushed towards this because the user experience is going to be the differentiator. And and ordinary human beings, they don't want their life changed fast. They want to be able to do their work fast and efficiently. They don't want their world changed fast. Sure, you could certainly say they're pretty opposed to that, generally speaking. Yeah. <laughs> and it just seems like another clash of, of quality and speed, which is the kind of things that we, we talk about at conferences like this. It's interesting to see how people deal with these things. Yeah. Great. Isabel, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. And that is it for our conversation with Isabel Evans. Thanks to her for joining us, and thanks to you for listening. Please check out searchsoftforequality.com for more articles on application development, software testing, and version control topics. And follow us on Twitter, too, at softwaretestTT.